Well, this time, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis in chapter 2, hopefully it's an easy book to find. It's the first one. I'll give you a hint, it's before Revelation, all right? <laughs> uh, Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we'll read uh, verses 21 through 25, and uh, if we could, if you're physically able to stand... I invite you to do that as we read this passage together. I'll read aloud. You follow along silently. Uh, Genesis 2, 21 through 25. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And let's pray one more time together this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful relationship called marriage. And Lord, I ask that today you would uh, grant us your wisdom as we discuss uh, how we might magnify you in our marriage. Uh, Lord, I pray that all of us would have an open heart. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts and change lives, change marriages, change homes because of the time spent in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> Before we get into this message, I do want to give a uh, a rule. I don't typically give rules out uh, when I get ready to preach, but there is one rule tonight or this morning, and that is no elbowing. Okay. Um, so if you need to uh, adjust your seats appropriately, uh, I would invite you to do that. Okay. Uh, this message is not intended for the other person. This message is intended for you. All right? And uh, so our heart needs to be, Lord, how could I be a better spouse? How could I, as a either a wife or a husband, how can I magnify you in our marriage? Not how the other person can, but how can I? With that said, I want to dive in here. First of all, uh, we are living in a day when marriage isn't, unfortunately, what it used to be. Marriage has a very sad success rate in our day and age, with only about 50% of all marriages making it to the end. You say, well, that must be outside these walls. No, that includes the church as well, unfortunately. Marriage seems to have a negative uh, perspective in our culture today. I read about two men uh, who were talking at the restaurant, and uh, one man said, well, I, I got this poodle for my wife. And the other man said, sure wish I could trade mine in for something like that. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's kind of silly, that's kind of funny, I get it. <clears throat> but you know... Uh, Marriage needs to not have such a negative connotation. According to author Faye Angus, and I'm not exactly sure who Faye really is, but according to this author, the four D's of marriage are depression, despair, drink, and divorce. That's not real positive. This, of course, is not God's plan at all when He... Uh, brought in Adam and Eve and brought them together in Genesis chapter 2. No, he, he designed marriage to be characterized as instead of depression, despair, drink, and divorce, he wants marriage to be characterized as devoted, dandy, desired, divine, and delightful. Now, how can we achieve a marriage like that? I would answer by magnifying the Lord in our marriage. When we put Him first, then all of a sudden, we can have a marriage like He designed. 
Okay, so what does it mean to magnify the Lord in our marriages? What does that look like? Well, this morning I want to share with you uh, four ways in which we can indeed magnify the Lord in our marriages. First of all, magnifying the Lord in our marriage means, number one, we need to find your satisfaction in Christ. Uh, no matter how you slice it, there are needs that your spouse just cannot meet. And it's wrong for you to expect that he or she would meet all of your needs. I'll never forget when I was engaged to be married to Julie. I was so excited to be married. We got engaged in October. Our, our wedding was in July, and so that was a long time to wait. And not to mention the distance that was between us. Uh, during that time, she was going to school two hours away from where I was serving at the church there in California, and we didn't get to see each other. And these are the days before unlimited talk and text, uh, where you had to pay for every text message that you sent, where you only had like 250 minutes for the month, and they were during different times. You guys remember those plans that they had out there? And uh, we were... We got to talking one time, and I didn't realize, but my my phone bill was way too expensive for that month, so we had to taper it back to talking, get this, once a week, we were engaged to be married. Yes, we are old. <laughs> but I'll never forget just leading up to the wedding and how excited I was to get married to my wife. There was a uh, Spanish pastor and his wife, uh, the Granados family, uh, they were the Spanish. They were in charge of the Spanish ministry there at the church that we, I was part of, and and uh, she was joking with me every time she'd see me. She would say, "Eric, I'm praying for the rapture to happen today," and I said, "Please don't pray for the rapture to happen today. I want to get married first. I wanted to be married. I was excited to be married, and I wanted not just to be married, but to be married to Julie." I, I loved her, and I, I really honestly couldn't wait to spend the rest of my life with her. And then we got married. <laughs> now, I thought, you know, like most married people or engaged people think, that my life is going to be completed and perfect after we say I do. I mean, all my problems will disappear. All of my life is going to just be smooth sailing after that day. I thought life would be absolutely perfect. Then one day, I was in the bathroom. We were sharing toothpaste at the time. And I looked at this toothpaste. And someone, it wasn't me. And there were only two people in the house. Squeezed it from the middle of the tube. Now I was thinking, what kind of monster does this? I didn't know this about her. I couldn't believe this. How did we deal with it? Well, we have separate toothpaste now. <laughs> That's how we deal with it. And I don't try to look at hers because I get all kind of start twitching every time I see her squeeze from the middle. Everybody knows the godly way to do it is squeeze from the bottom and then work your way up. Well, her life wasn't perfect either. You see, I grew up with just one brother, and uh, my brother and I shared a bathroom. We didn't know anything about toilet seats up or down. I know this is church, and you're not supposed to talk about toilet seats, but I think it fits in the context here, so bear with me. It's not my nor normal M.O., uh, for those who know. But uh, I didn't realize that you need to put the toilet seat down. I didn't get that. And I was trying to learn all this uh, early on in our marriage, and I remember I was in our little two-bedroom two apartment or condo there in uh, Santa Ana, California, right next to In-N-Out Burger. And uh, we were, I was, I was standing in the living room, and, and Julie was in the back bedroom, and then I think she, she obviously went to the restroom. And then all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, I hear this big, pow! I was like, what was that? And I realized, oh, 
My wife closed the toilet seat or lowered that toilet seat down and uh, did it in a way that I would hear <laughs> that she was doing it. It wasn't just nice and gentle. No, no, she wanted to send a message. And I got the message, and she came out with a big smile on her face, and I'm like, she's like, did you hear that? <laughs> yes, I did, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I did. Um, got the message loud and clear, you know. Um, so there's been some learning along the way, and, and uh, I just want to say this. Look, as great as our marriage is, and, and, and it has been great, um, I am still wrong to believe that my marriage should be the source of all of my joy. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I love my wife and I truly enjoy being married to her. In fact, I often say that marriage was meant to be enjoyed, not just endured. I mean, if you have to endure it, endure it. It's worth enduring. But God's plan is that it would be enjoyed. God's plan is that marriage is something wonderful and, and uh, delightful. Last 20 years of my life, we're coming up on 20 years this July. Last 20 years of my life were immensely better than the first 23 years of my life. I love being married. But look, what, what happens if, and I don't want this to happen, but what happens if the Lord takes my wife away from me? My dad went through this very thing not much older than me. He was 45 when my mom was taken from him. So, does my source of joy disappear then if the Lord takes my wife away? Most of us are familiar with a man in the Bible named Job. He was faced with a very tough situation as well. He had great possessions. He had health. He had wonderful children. He had a wife. He had servants. He had the American dream. And in the span of a very short time, it was all taken away from him. It all disappeared. The only thing he really had left was his life and a very bitter wife. So would his joy be gone too? And really that whole story, most of us aren't able to see all the reasons why God does things in people's lives, but in the life of Job, we're able to pull back the curtains and see behind the scenes why God was doing what He was doing. He was using Job as an illustration that, look, Job it doesn't look at his... His, his blessings as his source of joy. He's looking at me, the blesser, as his source of joy. See, he's going to still love me even if you happen to take everything away, Satan. There's a song by Ray Miller. She wrote these words. It's actually, uh, let me do this. Let me have you take your hymn books. It's actually in our hymn books. Song 843 in the hymn book. I wouldn't mind you following along to see it with your own eyes as well. Page 843, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. The first verse says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Oh, I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. Verse 2 says, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. Why? Verse 3 answers the question. Because He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. Oh, He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. And He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let Him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Psalmist said in Psalm 73, and you could put your hymn books away. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. doesn't mean that I don't desire my wife. But it means that I desire him far more than I desire her. I was reading my Bible this morning and I came across this verse in Psalm 17, verse 5. 
I believe it was David who wrote that psalm, and he said, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Look, the key to really magnifying the Lord in your marriage is to develop a satisfaction that comes from a relationship with Christ, where He's our rock. Because look, All of us wake up on the wrong side of the bed from time to time, don't we? But God never does. He never sleeps to begin with, and He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's the one in which we can find our true satisfaction. Do you remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? She was one who was trying to find satisfaction in human relationships. If you recall... She was the one who had five husbands and the, the, the sixth guy that she's with now, she wasn't even married to, but she was living with. Here was a lady who tried and tried to, maybe this is the guy that's going to bring me true satisfaction. Maybe this is going to be my answer. And to her, here's what Jesus said. Whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him, Jesus said, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, lady, you're looking in the wrong place for your satisfaction. If you think getting married is going to solve all of your problems, friend, you're wrong. You can't find your satisfaction in another person because they will fill you. As great as my wife is and as great as I try to be, I still fail her. And I can't remember the time she's failed me, but I'm sure she is. she's not perfect either. And so to this woman, Jesus said, look, you're, fine, you're trying to find satisfaction in a human relationship. And while it can bring some great joy and, and all of that, you're looking in the wrong place. Two chapters later in John chapter 6, Jesus said that he was the bread of life. And in verse 35 of John 36, or John chapter 6, he said this, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Look, he alone can quench our thirst. He alone can fill our hunger. So please, friends, stop looking to your spouse to bring you true satisfaction. I would encourage you, instead of looking to your spouse, to look to your Savior for that, because He indeed can satisfy. That song, uh, I'd Rather Have Jesus, I read a moment ago. One of the words is, He's all that my hungering spirit needs. So if you're trying to find it in a human relationship, I remember when I was a junior in high school, I just got to have a girlfriend, because then my life will be complete. What an idiot I was. Because once you find a wife, then you're not just complete, you're finished. <laughs> no. uh, anyway. Well, look, when each spouse is finding their satisfaction in Christ alone, they are well on their way to magnifying the Lord in their marriage. All right, so number one, to magnify the Lord in your marriage, find your satisfaction in, the, in Christ. Number two, follow closely to the Lord. And you might be thinking, hey, when are you going to get to like the communication part of marriage? Like my husband talking to me. When are you going to get to that? Look, this is the most important stuff here that we're talking about first. We're talking about magnifying the Lord in our marriage. Number two, follow closely to the Lord. There's an interesting verse in the life of Peter. Uh, Peter was one of the disciples. He was the one who was kind of the spokesman for the group. He was the one always putting, he had the uh, foot and mouth disease, right? Kept putting his foot in his mouth and uh, saying things that no one else was willing to say, but felt probably. Uh, There was a point there at the end before Jesus was crucified when Jesus came to Peter and said, hey, I just want to let you know that uh, I prayed for you because look, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He said, you know, you don't, you're kind of wasting your breath, Lord. I mean, I'm good. I'm, I'm actually ready to go into prison for you. I'll even die for you, Lord. I'm good. I mean, you can pray for the rest of the disciples, but as for me, 
No worries here. Well, it wasn't long after that that they end up in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? And this is where Jesus and or yeah, Jesus and his uh, three inner circle were there, James, John, and Peter. And there uh, Judas leads the uh, the bad guys over and says, There he is, there's Jesus. Well, Peter's there, and what does he do in that moment? Does he let it happen? Oh no, he yanks out his machete and goes and cuts off the ear of one of those servants, Malchus. So he's there. He's close to the Lord at that point. But then four verses later, there's what Luke 22, verse 54 says, Then they took him and led him away, talking about Jesus, and brought him into the high priest's house. And the last five words of that verse says, And Peter followed afar off. Hmm. Now there's a noticeable difference in the proximity to the Savior. Now there's some distance between he and the Lord. Where he was like, hey, I'm ready to go with you to prison. I mean, let's do this. I'm good. Now all of a sudden there's a distance like, hey, I don't want to follow too closely because I don't want to be associated too much with him. I don't want them to take me and do what they're doing to him to me. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to, I don't want them to uh, you know, put me in front of a trial. I don't, I don't want that. And so now there's a distance. And we're taking this and saying, look, as believers, we need to stay close to the Lord in the good times and in the bad. And when you and I are living close to the Lord, guess what? We're automatically going to be close to each other. Go ahead and put that graphic up, Brother David. You see, you have the husband and the wife. And the closer we are to God, then by default, the closer we are to each other. Most of us have seen this. Are we thinking about it as we live our, through our marriage? Are we each individually trying to live and follow closely to the Lord, or are we trying to be distant from God? When we're distant from God, it's going to naturally produce a distance between us and our spouse. You can go back to the other slide, brother. One of the most absolute greatest gifts that you can give your spouse is to walk closely to the Lord. When you are spending time with the Lord, you are showing Him and your spouse that He indeed is the most important person to you. And when you are spending time with Him, guess what? As the old adage goes, nearness is likeness. The more time you spend with someone else, the more you begin to adopt their mannerisms, their verbiage, and uh, their actions. And the more time you spend with the Lord, guess what? You're going to start acting like the Lord. You're going to start taking on some of His quality, <coughs> qualities and attributes. Now, don't, I'm not trying to get heretical on us this morning, but we're going to start thinking like Jesus thinks and, and acting like Jesus would act. The closer you are to the Lord, the more like Him you will be. And I'm telling you, when both spouses are striving to be like Jesus, it will be a harmonious home and a fantastic relationship. Look, instead of sharp, hurtful words, there'll be words that build up and encourage. Instead of a selfish mentality, there'll be a servant's heart willing to serve each other. Instead of arguments and fighting, there'll be unity and harmony. Instead of wrong priorities and chaos, there'll be balance and margin. Instead of a cold, distant relationship, there'll be closeness and warmth. Instead of bitterness and resentment, there'll be forgiveness and restoration. Instead of a shallow, going-through-the-motions relationship, there can be true openness and true intimacy. When you and I are close to the Lord, it opens a whole new dimension to your relationship with each other. These cannot be manufactured in the flesh. Oh, no. No, this can only come when both spouses are following closely to the Lord. So how are we going to magnify the Lord in our marriage? We're finding our satisfaction in Christ. We're following closely to the Lord. And then, number three, we are focusing on meeting 
your spouse's needs. Focus on meeting your spouse's needs. Now notice I didn't say focus on meeting your needs. There's a lot of marriages out there that that's how they operate. Where it's all about my needs and my needs aren't being met. Can you please talk to my spouse because my needs aren't being met? See, the focus is on me. Instead of, can you please talk to me because I don't feel like I'm doing the right, I'm not doing enough to meet my spouse's needs. Wondering when that person is going to come talk to me about that. You know, when is the person going to call and say, hey, pastor, can you please meet with me? I want to learn how to be a better spouse. Usually the calls are, Pastor, can you please talk to my spouse? They're not meeting my needs. And it's been like this for some time. Look, remember, it's others before me. Remember the the old acronym, JOY, J-O-Y? Jesus, others, and then you? Many people get it totally backwards, and it's YOJ. You, others, and then Jesus. Jesus, others, and then you. Stop worrying about number one and focus on meeting one another's needs. And do you remember Jesus? Was he so focused on himself or was he focused on the needs of you and I when he was faced with the decision to go to the cross? We're magnifying the Lord in our marriage. How do we do that? We focus on meeting your spouse's needs. Well, we do this, first of all, as unto Christ, as unto Christ. If you turn over to Ephesians chapter number 5, we'll be here in Colossians for uh, just a couple minutes here. Ephesians in chapter number 5, verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Can we all read these next four words together? Ready, begin. As unto the Lord. One more time. As unto the Lord. We are to meet the needs of our spouse out of obedience to God. Not because they deserve it. Because guess what? I don't know that there's ever been a time where I've really deserved my wife to submit to me. All I really deserve in this life is to perish in a place called hell. So it's not because I'm this great guy that's so worthy of her submission. And yes, she, I would say, is very deserving of my love, but but still, I don't do it because I shouldn't love her because she deserves it. I should do it because, guess what? He deserves it. Because He is worthy. I should focus on meeting my spouse's needs because God deserves it. My spouse may not be worthy, but the Lord always is. So we meet our spouse's needs, not whether we feel like they deserve it at that time or not. No, we're doing it as unto the Lord because He always deserves it in every moment of every day. I, you know, it would be so much easier if he was just not so lazy for me to submit to him. I understand that. It is easier when they're, when they're not, when they're loving you, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to submit. And, and, and ladies, it's a lot easier to love you when you are submitting. I get that. But we're to do that regardless. And that leads me to number letter B here. Regardless of what your spouse does or doesn't do, we are to focus on meeting your spouse's needs regardless of what your spouse does or doesn't do. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then verse 24 says, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28, men, 
Uh, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So here, love and, and submission are, are both mentioned. Nowhere in this passage does it say, you know, let the wives be subject to their own husbands and everything as long as he's loving her like he should. It doesn't say that, does it? Nor does it say, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, as long as she's being submissive to you, then you love your wife. See, it's regardless of what your spouse does or doesn't do. Nowhere does it say to do so just as long as your spouse meets your need. It's not a scratch my back and then I'll scratch yours mentality. No, instead it should be I'll scratch your back whether you ever scratch mine or not. It doesn't matter. I'm doing this as to the Lord. I'm doing this out of obedience to God because I love Him first and foremost. And I'm going to do this regardless of your actions or, or inaction. It doesn't really matter. Now look, if both spouses in a marriage have that mentality, then that marriage is going to indeed magnify the Lord. If we say, hey, look, honey, it doesn't matter whether you're submissive to me or not, whether you are meeting some of my needs or not, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to meet your needs as best as I can. I'm going to focus on meeting your needs. I'm not going to worry about... I'm not going to keep score. There's so many marriages, they do. They keep score, don't they? They're like, oh, I'm winning. Are you Really? All right, let's get into some of the needs here. The needs of a wife can be summed up with the word love. With the word love. If you go down to Ephesians 5 and verse number 35, or 33, I'm sorry. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. Love. A couple things here I wanted to mention about this love. First of all, I want to, Look at the standard of love. Verse number 25, husbands love your wife even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Boy, husbands, we have quite the standard of love, don't we? When we realize that Jesus was the ultimate standard of love. How did he love? Well, we see then the service of love. As Jesus was here on earth, one of the things that he was known for was being a servant. He didn't need to be a servant. He could have had everybody serve him, and he would have been right to do so, but that's not where Jesus... Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, how are we doing, husbands, with that in our homes, in our marriages? Convicting thought for me and for all of us, I'm sure. We need to be serving, and that, that communicates that we indeed love our spouse when we are serving, but also when we're willing to sacrifice. Uh, Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. That was tremendous sacrifice. We need to be willing to sacrifice greatly. And notice, notice this. Jesus did this not because we were deserving. How many of you deserved Jesus dying on the cross for you? Raise your hand. Nobody's hand is up because no one deserved it. And yet he was willing to sacrifice so much for us. Okay, husbands, you say, well, she ain't worth it. She doesn't deserve it. Neither did you. Neither did I. And yet Jesus sacrificed everything for us. We ought to be willing to sacrifice for our wives as well. Whether we feel like she deserves it or not, it doesn't matter. That is totally not the point. Here are some practical ways in which we can express love, though. We can listen to her. That's a tough one to do. A lot of us like to not listen a lot, but, uh, and, but she likes to talk a lot. <laughs> um, but she needs someone to talk to. And Look, I know that I'm glad for other ladies in my wife's life who listen to some of the things that she says, but, but I better be one of the top listeners in her life 
show commitment and loyalty to her. She shouldn't have to wonder, what's he doing out so late tonight? She shouldn't have those thoughts go into a, I hope our relationship's okay. There should be good communication to where she knows that it's, that you, she is the only one for you. We can show love by taking initiative in resolving conflict. When there is a, a time of conflict, then man, sir, it's one of our responsibilities to take that initiative to get that relationship right again. You say, well, it was all her fault. Guess who, guess whose fault it was when the Lord took initiative to restore the relationship between us and God? Guess whose fault it was? It was 100% ours. But who took the initiative? It was God that took the initiative. Husbands, it's our responsibility to take the initiatives to get that relationship unified once again. A practical way to show her that we love her is to honor and cherish her. Not to liken her to something like this, but, but for those of us who have a really treasured possession, maybe it's a, a classic car, maybe it's a 2000 Honda Shadow motorcycle. Whatever, whatever possession you have that's super precious to you, and you're like, man, no one touched that thing. You get a scratch on it, you're dead. You know, that type of thing. Some of us treat our possessions better than we treat our spouse. The Bible says we are to cherish and honor our, our wives. When we do, it shows her that we love her. Help her with the household chores. We won't comment any further on that one. I'm hoping that she fell asleep during that particular part. Uh, give her time and attention. Nothing spells love greater than T-I-M-E. So go on regular dates. And when you do, put down the phone and turn off, or turn off the game. And focus your attention on the bride and the wife of your life. And you can also show her love by appreciating what she does and expressing it. One day a man came home to find their house in complete disarray. The dishes were piled high in the sink. The Amazon packages were still laying at the doorstep. Dirty laundry was everywhere. Toys were strewn across the room. The dog was nowhere in sight. The bathroom towels were laying in piles in the corner. The lights and fans were all on. The water was dripping from the tap. The toothpaste cap was left open. Crumbs were all across the kitchen table. In dining room floor, the phone was ringing off the hook and the fruit bowl was empty. The fridge was lying open and emptied out. The maid refused to speak and there was no dinner in sight. The bills lay piled up on the desk. The kids were in their pajamas with dried blood on their knees and sitting like zombies in front of an iPad. But there was no sign of his wife. Gripped by worry, he ran from room to room, fearing the worst. He finally found her under the covers with music in the background and reading a book. Are, are you okay? I mean, what happened? He asked. She smiled. You ask me what I do all day. Well, today I didn't do it. <laughs> See, this guy didn't uh, uh, show appreciation for what she does. Whether it's working outside the home or working inside the home, take time to express appreciation. The needs of a husband, though, can be summed up in the word reverence. Ephesians 5.33, once again, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Interesting word, that word reverence. It's from the Greek word phobia. So that means you're to have like arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. There's a husband phobia, fear of husbands. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're afraid of them in that sense. It means that you do admire them and you stand in awe of your husband. Say, I could never do that with my husband because if you just knew him, wait a minute, remember, we're doing this regardless 
of what he or she does. Remember, we're doing this as unto Christ, not as unto him. Because guess what? I am not worthy of her reverence. There's, there's no question that that's the case. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. Even in my best days, I don't deserve it. But he does. And when she does it as unto him, unto him, I feel it. And God knows that us husbands need that type of respect. We need that type of reverence. Here's some practical ways to show that. Show appreciation for his work. God created men to work. And it's sad when they're getting more praise about their work at work from other females than they do at home from their own wife. Ladies, you need to be his greatest cheerleader. Write thank you notes for what he does at work to bring home the bacon, to provide for the family. Show practical ways to express your appreciation for what he does because most men do find a lot of their identity and it's in what they do in their work. One of the first questions that people ask or men ask other men is not, you know, hey, how many children do you have? What are their names? No, it's what do you do for work? And so we need to know that you appreciate what we do. Appreciate and encourage his desire to lead. We've talked about the importance of the husband and the father being the spiritual leader in the home. Well, it requires a lady to let him lead and to submit to his leadership. And one way to do that is to express your gratitude for the leadership he does take. To encourage him in it. Don't try to, like, well, that Bible time was terrible. Maybe it was, okay? <laughs> there have been times in our uh, family where our Bible time is pathetic, okay? And, uh, and I know that I could do better. But, you know, that doesn't really, like, help me to do better next time when she points it out. <laughs> like, I already know. Thank you very much. So encourage his desire to lead. Appreciate also, appreciate his desire for recreation and competition. Guys like to be active. Guys like to compete with one another. Encourage that. Get involved in some of the competition too. And then obviously, uh, appreciate his desire for physical intimacy. I do want to remind us of what the Bible does say about that. That ladies, your body, when you got married, no longer belongs to you. It belongs to Him. And the other way around too. And that we're not to defraud one another from that part of marriage. There's a, uh, the devil's attack is to try to get people physically intimate before marriage and then once they're married, then to stop the physical intimacy. He'll do anything he can to get people sexually active before marriage, but then once they are married, it's like, let's stop that. Because he knows the importance of that element of marriage. And ladies, that is one of your husband's greatest needs. And it shows tremendous reverence when you're meeting that. And when you're not just going through the motions, but that when you're there, when you're in it. I would encourage you to do that. And here's some, here's some things for both of you. Go on a date. I would encourage you to go on a date sometime soon, and ask your spouse the question, what are some needs that you have that I can meet? And maybe you say, let's talk about, I want to I hear about your needs. Without like going, okay, and I'm hoping you're going to ask me what my needs are too, because <laughs> I've got them all alphabetized, and it's a long list. You know? <laughs> no, no. Uh, the point is, you're trying to be, like focus on meeting your spouse's needs. So go and do that. And then, um, by the way, these needs, uh, you need to have this on a somewhat regular basis because as you go through life, those needs change. When my wife was, or when our children were way little and we had, you know, a bunch of diapers to change, one of the practical ways that I could have been showing her love was to help with some of those diapers. But then when they're potty trained, it's not like, okay, sweet. <laughs> I have shown you all my love. I'm done. <laughs> all right. That was, well, that's over. No, 
No, see, now life changes and there's other needs that arise. And so have this conversation on a somewhat regular basis. All right, number four, and I'm almost done. Forgive one another. How are we going to have a marriage that magnifies the Lord? Forgive one another. And this one really could become a series and may eventually become one. But for today, I'm going to kind of zip through this. Ephesians 5 or 4 and verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. There have been a few times in our marriage when we got miffed at each other. I know it's never happened to you, but it happened to us. So what happens in those moments, I tend to kind of shut down and just kind of do the silent mode. You know, like a phone, you know, you go into silent mode. That's what happens to me when we get into a miff. And then she kind of just avoids me altogether. It's really a wonderful feeling in the home when that happens. I mean, it's just so just joyful. Well, there was one time when I made an insensitive comment about the cleanliness of our home. It was not complimentary. I, it was toward the end of the night, and that was, that was a bonehead move to make it toward the end of the night. Bad timing, Eric. I uh, informed her that I was going to bed, thinking she was going to follow. She did not follow. Well, I fell asleep knowing that I had made a bonehead error. And I woke up a couple hours later. It was maybe one in the morning. And, uh, and she still wasn't in bed. And I was like, what is going on? And I looked up and I noticed the hall light was still on. And I heard some activity going on outside the room. Finally, uh, in the wee hours of the morning, she came to bed. And I, you know, when she came into bed, it kind of woke me up and, and I was like, what, what were you doing? And she said with a little bit of an attitude, okay, a lot of bit of an attitude, you wanted the house clean, so I cleaned the entire house while you were sleeping. Oops. Like, that's not exactly what I had in mind, you know. Um, forgiveness is necessary in any marriage. Ephesians 4.32, um, well, if your Bible's open to Ephesians 5, just turn over to chapter 4 here. Again, we're almost done. I know it's noon, but uh, hang with me for just a couple more minutes. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, and here it is, forgiving one another. And here's how to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. See, he addresses forgiveness right before he hits on marriage in chapter number 5. So how exactly did Jesus forgive? He offered forgiveness before he ever asked for it. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You say, I can't forgive my spouse. They haven't said sorry yet. Well, none of those soldiers and none of us said sorry before Jesus went to the cross for us to offer us forgiveness either. And so we can forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Many Christian marriages operate with a I'll forgive when they ask for it, and then they show me they really mean it. Like, I need to see a lot of fruit before I offer forgiveness. It's going to take time. I mean, you put, you left your socks on the floor, your dirty socks on the floor. It's going to take weeks of you putting them in the hamper before I'm willing to forgive this. Okay, I'm being silly on that, but some of us know what I'm talking about. Where, hey, you're going to have to show me a completely different life before I really get right with you. Colossians 3.19, it says, Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. There are a lot of marriages that are filled with bitterness. And bitterness is a cancer that eats the person who's holding it. So don't let this bitterness eat your marriage from the inside, and it will. Remember to Peter, 
Jesus said this. Well, Peter, again, Mr. Thinking he was pretty spiritual in this moment in Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus, said, Lord, how many times, sh- how, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like seven times? Jesus said, no, no, no. Until 70, seven times, seven, 70 times seven. So 490 times, right? Okay, this, does this apply to marriage too? Yes or no? Yes, it does. And when you're married to someone for a long time, we're probably getting close to that 490. (laughs) We may have passed it a long time ago. I don't know. The point is you just kind of lose track and you just keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One more quick story and then I'll throw in my conclusion. We done. Obviously, before, uh, before I get into that, obviously, if there's an abusive situation, that's different. Uh, I'm not talking about that this morning. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to get some help. All right? And uh, that, that kind of goes without saying, but I do want to say that. Okay, a couple married for 15 years began having more than usual disagreements. So they wanted to make their marriage work and planned on a, and then agreed on a di- an idea that the wife had. So for one month, they planned to drop a slip in a fault box. The boxes would provide a place to let the other know about daily irritations. Well, the wife was diligent in her efforts and approach, leaving the jelly top off the jar. Wet towels on the shower floor. Dirty socks not in the hamper. And on and on until the end of the month. After dinner, at the end of the one month, They exchanged boxes. The husband reflected on what he had done wrong. The wife opened her box and began reading. And each slip was exactly the same. The message on each one of those slips was simply, I love you. You see, he he chose to not look at those little things. He chose to overlook those, forgive those, and to express love to his spouse. Friend, if we're going to have a marriage that magnifies the Lord, we're going to have to be willing to forgive one another a lot. To not hold grudges. Magnifying the Lord my marriage, how do we do that? Well, we must individually find our satisfaction in Christ. We must follow closely to the Lord. We must focus on meeting each other's needs. And we must forgive one another. May the Lord help the marriages here at Cornerstone Baptist Church to truly magnify Him this year and throughout history. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for marriage. What a wonderful relationship it is. Thank you for creating it. And Lord, you are the inventor of it. And Lord, your wisdom in it is amazing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to magnify you in our marriages. Help us to do so by finding our true satisfaction in you. Help us to do so by following closely to you. Help us to do so by focusing on meeting our spouse's needs and then by forgiving one another.